Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello to all of our listeners, both new and old. Thank you once again for joining us for what is going to be a great, great show. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon in paperback and ebook. So go out and buy a couple. If you're an audiophile, you can pick up volumes one through eight at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. And don't forget my latest book, UFO, Sightings and Encounters, Volume 1, W.J. Sheehan. Fantastic grouping of over 50 UFO encounters that are going to blow your mind. And now... May I introduce you to my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Kev, how are you? Hey, Bill. How's it going? Okay, back in action. All right. (laughs) Yeah, I was down by the water this afternoon, uh, riding down the coast and uh, checking out a couple of the early, very early season bass fishermen over there. Beautiful place to just go and unwind and look at the scenery. Very cool. Yeah. My favorite place to be, down by the water. It's unbelievable, you know, what it does to the soul. (laughs) Absolutely. Was it chilly? Yeah. uh, Gray overcast, probably in the low to mid-50s, but a good good breeze blowing. So, you know, you have to have... this time of year, you know how it is. It's up and down. You got to bring stuff to wear. Otherwise, if you don't, you're going to be cold. Especially All when right. you get down. The water temperatures at the ocean are still in the 40s. You know. So. Yeah, yeah. That's 40s are chilly when the wind blows across it. Yeah, it's like automatic air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Were they yeah. catching anything? I didn't stay long enough to watch. Sometimes I would hang tough for a while and just keep an eye on a couple of the guys and see if anything was happening, you know? Right. Uh, But I was just riding through, you know, and uh, there's a few guys that kind of frequent that area over there in the back bay. I don't think they'd be there if, uh, you know, through the years they hadn't scored some fish in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's it, though. Very cool. Well. <laughs> Very cool. 
How you well, doing I over am, there? Uh, we're, we're doing fine in North Carolina. I'm back in Raleigh, and uh-huh. uh, the pollen is going nuts, so I'll still be coughing and sneezing. <laughs> um, you know, we're hoping here, maybe in a few weeks, it starts to blow out of these pine trees, but everything is that bright green color with that pine dust on it. Everyone sounds like they have a cold, but it's really just <laughs> uh, allergies. You know what's the craziest about that? If you get into the right rays of sunshine, like shining on certain days, and you see what's actually in the air, it's unbelievable. Oh, it's it's crazy. When you see a gust of wind hit a pine, like it explodes, and the pine pollen goes everywhere. Yeah. Like it's like a cloud. Exactly. When the gust of wind hits it. Unbelievable stuff, man. Yeah. Very strange. And, of course, if you go down to the lake Uh and, you know, it's not too rough, it's got like a coat of this green slime on it. It's not really slime, but it looks like slime. Mm -hmm. You know, the pollen on it. Yeah, when you wash your car the next day, it looks like you never washed it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Especially if you have a black car like me. Yeah, Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Or a green car, as it is now. Yeah. (laughs) You went from being the Batmobile to the freaking Riddler. <laughs> That's a good point. It is a little Riddler-esque. Yeah, remember uh, <laughs> Frank Gorshin with his bright green uh, skin-tight suit and the question marks all over it? Riddle me this, Kate Crusader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that's the Penguin. Yeah. What a character Gorshin was, man. He was a good character. They had a few uh, of them. Yeah, they always did, you know. So what do we got today, bro? Anything interesting in our cryptids in the news? Yes, cryptids in the news and other oddities. We're going to go to a relatively famous story, a very interesting story, but unfortunately the story's not documented that well. Like I did Mm -hmm. a lot of time searching on it, and uh, if our listeners out there have more data, this is one of the most fascinating stories uh, but I'd love to get more data on it. And I don't know if you know this one, Bill. You you might. It it happened back in August 6th of 1999. And this is known as the Battle Mountain, Nevada fire episode. Battle you know Mountain, the? Nevada fire. Yeah. So there were these fires in uh, a place called Battle Mountain, Nevada. Forest fires, huge forest fires. Uh And, uh, you know, you had these smoke jumpers and that come in to fight the fire, right? The very brave folks that come in to take care of these wildfires and, you know, try to save people's lives and also, of course, animal life. And um, during this fire, it's uh, reported that a Bigfoot that was injured in the fire came kind of coming out of the fire on all fours, but not like a bear, more like a gorilla, you know, coming along. And it had burns on about a third of its body and like it fell down on the ground. And there were like 20 to 30 witnesses there, including uh, firefighters and a veterinarian um, that uh, that saw this Bigfoot and then treated this Bigfoot for its injuries. Nineteen ninety nine. I have never heard. You've never of heard this. of it. All right. Very so strange. A, yeah, very strange. So uh, they they th- there's a gentleman named Tom Powell, 
and uh, he wrote about this uh, this episode. And apparently, you know, or he he writes about the fact that he interviewed one of these uh, government employees that was at the scene when this happened. So this person who we interviewed was uh, remained very much anonymous, you know, of course, didn't give his name. But it sounds like when you look at the several different accounts out there, that this gentleman was uh, probably one of the smoke jumpers, as they call them, the firefighters that uh, go and fight these wildfires. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, Kev, refresh my memory. Did did I uh, talk about the account of the smoke jumper that I have? You did, where they were. They saw it from the helicopter, right? Where it was running along. Uh, yeah. Well, they. Uh, not. I, I'm not sure. No, that's a different. That's so another one. That's the one, one that I remember. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But go ahead. Don't. Uh, someday yeah. we'll get into that. But go ahead. Yeah. So in this case, it's it's described uh, by this person who saw it and reported it to Tom Powell, who wrote about it. Um, that this gentleman, the fire or rumored to be firefighter, uh, saw this animal come out of the fire again on all fours. But he does write not walking like a bear, more like an ape, you know, but using his hands very much injured, though, about uh-huh. seven and a half feet tall, seven and uh-huh. a half feet tall, uh-huh. had human like arms and legs. But the face was not man or ape-like, but actually a combination of the two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people say that, that the face is kind of hybrid-looking. Yep. You, would, you wouldn't favor one way or the other. It's very much like in the 50 percentile of being yep. one or the other, you know? Yep. Huh. But giant, you know, seven and a half feet tall. He said that, you know, its genitalia was male. It had hair covering most of its body except for the chest. The chest had hair, but kind of sparse. And uh, the hands had sparse hair. The palms were bare. They had five digits on each hand and had uh, um, an opposable thumb like a human. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's... yeah, pretty consistent That's, with what we've heard, right? Right. There's nothing different or va- no variation of what many of the accounts through the years are. Right. Mm-hmm. So apparently this thing comes out, right, and there's like 25 folks there that witnessed this. And there's a vet there. They call an ambulance and, uh, you know, a med tech come there. They try to put this thing on a backboard, and of course, it's too big to fit on a backboard at seven and a half feet tall. They put it on a stretcher, and uh, they take it away, and uh, some government employees come in and say, you know, hey, listen, uh, we don't want you to tell anybody about what happened here. And, uh, you know, that's it. Where did they take it? They don't know where they took it. Like, they kind of came in, and they said it got a lot of attention because, of course, people knew of the ambulance coming in, and they all talked about it like a firefighter was hurt, right, Mm -hmm. which they would all have to report that back. But, you know, they took this thing away and uh, don't have any report of what happened, but the government folks that were there said, hey, listen, we really— you're better off not talking about this at all to anybody. So, 
uh, let me try to wrap my mind around this. So, a an ambulance is called in the hope of helping this thing. Yeah, they were trying to help it. So it's not like when this thing came out of the fire and fell down, they went over to it to try and treat it. Of course, you know, they don't know what it is, right? But right, they're right. firefighters. They, they try to help anything, right? If a deer came walking out, they'd try to help it, you know, and mm-hmm. not have it be in pain, et cetera. Um, and then, uh, you know, they and they talk about the fact that they tried to communicate with it. Um, but it couldn't speak or it didn't speak to them. It like grunted. They said that it, most of its body was covered in brownish hair, about two inches in length. And um, it had like a natural odor to it. So they said it didn't have like a foul odor. Mm-hmm. And they said uh, that the forehead was not sloped or the head was not sloped. And the forehead was heavy boned. The lips large, but human-like, and the ears human-like, but tight to the head, with mm-hmm. the earlobe attached to the head. Wow, with the earlobe attached. Yeah, but kind some like, people have the earlobe attached, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't really like hang. That. It doesn't no. really hang like you'd put a hoop earring in it. Right, right, right. I, now, I, what, what I'm puzzled by is, so they the EMT guys get this thing... Uh, probably with help onto a gurney, where the heck did these government governmental uh, entities enter into the picture? I mean, I can see this all going down over a, a relatively short period of time. Yeah, well, and well, government entities, I don't mean like guys in black suits, you know, like men in black showed up, but like the people working there are, a lot of them are federal people, you know, federal firefighters and that. So somebody in charge, they don't say who it is, but they say, hey, you shouldn't talk about this. And they take the thing away in the ambulance like they're going to the hospital, but no one ever hears anything about it again. Huh. So what, what's, your, what's your take? You think this guy made a radio call like we got something really weird over here? Looks like it might be a freaking Bigfoot. Yeah, I, somebody- I mean, I'm... I'm really curious, Bill, of what our listeners think and what they know about this, because I have heard about this encounter on a couple of other podcasts out there where folks talk about it. And then I've been out researching it and there's talk of it out there, but not a lot about it, you know, for something uh-huh. that's so interesting. Wow. But I haven't seen anyone come out and say, hey, this is bogus. You know, it was proven wrong two years ago or 10 years ago, blah, blah, blah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You know, so I don't I don't know. That's I mean, you and I, like uh, many of our listeners know, but perhaps not all of our listeners. We're 600 miles apart when we record this podcast and we generally don't talk about what we're going to say. So I was kind of hoping you knew about this one and had some insights on it that I didn't know. But in this time, in this case, I stumped you. Yeah, no, it was a stumper. And I'll be honest with you, you know, a lot of the listeners may think that I spend day and night listening to Bigfoot podcasts, Yeah, and I don't. I don't. Most of the stuff that I uh, spend my time doing is uh, science and or educational, uh, and I kind of shoot from the hip with the, uh, the material that I've been able to produce, and it's not that I'm not interested uh, I frankly, there's not enough hours in the day for me to be spending a great deal of time snooping around for 
what anybody else is talking about. You know, so uh, it's not like I'm ripping anybody off or taking their stuff, which I think goes on, believe it or not. Uh, But uh, I find it interesting that there is chatter about it. Uh, And I think the best thing to do with it, Kev, is, as you said, reaching out to the audience and see who knows what. Uh, The best way to gather information is by starting the conversation and uh, listening to people who chime in. Then we can check on those details. Right. Kind of crazy. What a bizarre thing. It's bizarre, but, you know, it's not hard to believe but like I said when I started out, I wish there were some more facts on it. Yeah, so you know, I'm it, trying to kind of stir the pot a little bit, like we do once in a while, and yeah. let's see what our listeners out there know about it as well. And I'm going to keep looking into this one, but I've been looking into it for a few weeks, and there's there are definite reports like this one, and this gentleman Tom Powell wrote about it. Mm-hmm. Others have picked up on it and chimed in on it. But uh, And they talk about the fact that it was reported to BFRO way back when, but I looked mm-hmm. on BFRO, and I can't find a report on this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not shocked because we have smoke jumpers and people and firefighters who get injured and even killed in wildfires. You get caught disoriented. You make a bad judgment call. Next thing you know, you're in a life-threatening situation. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that any animal, uh, including a Bigfoot, could find themselves trapped and maybe make a break for it or something and and get burned in the process, but maintain life, you know? Yeah. Uh, So it's not out of the realm of possibility at all. Uh, What was that bear a while ago, Kev? Remember that bear that got... Uh, they kind of adopted that cub that got burnt up in that forest fire. Hmm. No, I don't yeah. know that one either. We're stumping each other tonight, Bill. Yeah, that was just a little side story that made the news. They found some cub that got caught up in a, a forest fire, and they named him uh, Smokey or... Oh, like uh, Smokey the Bear. Oh, wait a second. What am I talking about? I'm mixing two stories up. That was the story of Smokey the Bear. The original story of Smokey the Bear. I yes. know that one. Yeah, the original Smokey the Bear. Uh, but there was another uh, uh, bear that got uh, kind of singed, uh, burnt uh, in a fire going back a couple of years. Uh, but anyways, at any rate, you know, it makes sense to me that something like this could ha- happen. I always wonder about what's happening in Australia now after that. Oh, uh, after you- all those terrible fires. Yeah. Yeah, do you remember we spoke about that Australian podcaster or or radio host that was entertaining and talking about uh, calls about the Yowie? Yeah. And then yeah. suddenly after the fire, everything dried up and he dried up. He had nothing left to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was so, a, those were some devastating fires where, you know, it almost wiped out some of the uh, marsupials like the koala bears and that. Crazy, huh? Terrible. Terrible. Wow. Well, that was interesting, Kev. I really do hope we get some feedback on that so we could kind of continue the story a little bit. Uh, Yeah, that's the Battle Mountain fires from Nevada in 1999. Yeah, it's not all that long ago. No. 
so 23 years going on 24. Yeah, and they uh, said like back back then there were 180,000 acres uh, on fire and 610 people fighting the fire. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of people risking their lives, boys. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, so should we move on? Yes, sir. What kind of account do you have for us tonight? Well, it's a little bit lengthy, uh, chock full of interesting uh, details, which I like. Uh, And although at the time of this, this uh, fellow's involvement was in illegal activities, it's interesting the walks of life and the variety of people uh, that come forward at some point in their lives, if they choose to do so, uh, and give reports of uh, Bigfoot sightings and or activities in their region. So I think and I assume you're going to tell us what type of illegal activity he was involved in. Yeah, well, you we'll be getting into this oh, like okay. right away. He was very yeah. open. He was very open about it. And of course, a much older man at the time of this report. Uh, and uh, no longer is, well, it doesn't matter to me what he's doing. You know, as far as I know, he's no longer involved uh, in what he talks about. But uh, this came from a guy named Danny Ames, not his real name, folks. And he had quite the story to share with me relative to his encounter in Northern California during 1979. This is what Danny had to say. I told you earlier, Bill, that in 79, I had two large grows, G-R-O-W-S, going at the same time in Northern California. For the sake of your readers and now listeners, let me explain that a grow is a small parcel of land where an individual or a group of individuals are growing marijuana. At the time, I had been involved in such activities for a number of years and had been very successful in doing so. My average yield was somewhere north of 500 pounds of weed annually, netting me in the neighborhood of $100,000 to $150,000, which was quite a bit of cash in '79. At that time, I already owned my own home, having built it for cash, and I wanted for nothing. It was in August of that year that I realized one of the grows had been compromised, by what or by whom I was uncertain. I had set numerous traps here and there that would be triggered should anything five feet tall or greater walk into or around the grow, and a number of them had been set off. It was time to move. I had never been busted, and I was not about to get stupid and allow that to happen now. It was common practice for the authorities to try and catch the growers in the act of tending to the weed by lying in wait for them after the grow had been discovered. Whether or not it was police or hunters, I did not know, but the risk was too great. If caught, I could do 10 years in jail easily. The following week, I hired a pilot at a local airstrip to take me up north under the notion that I was scoping out some new hunting grounds. 
Of course, he didn't care what I was doing and had no idea I was actually looking for a new grow location. We took to the air in an old Aronka and flew north of my current location about 20 miles. Circling low over a number of locations, I had seen a number of spots that looked promising. Our flight ended and we came back to the airport to land. The week after my aerial stakeout, my partner in crime, Terry, and I began our trek up into one of the areas I had seen from the sky. As we got nearer to what I had seen from above, this was some of the tightest and thickest growing brush I had ever encountered. If it wasn't for Terry being with me, I would have called it quits and turned back. But Terry, being the eternal optimist, said that we should keep trucking through it and we might just stumble across something really good. I was already realizing that I was covered in ticks, and the thought of coming in and out of here was not very appealing. I have mentioned to you as well that I'm the type of guy who could be dropped into about just about anywhere blindfolded and could find my way out. But in this brush, I was already getting turned around as far as my bearings were concerned. I stand about six foot tall, and most of this was at least a foot or more taller than me. As we were fighting our way through, we stumbled across a large grouping of trees leaning against each other in the middle of this mess. There was one large tree in the middle that was still alive, and there must have been 20 more dead trees leaning against against it, forming something like a teepee. What this was doing in here was beyond my comprehension, for certainly no man would have come in here to create such a thing. It was obvious to us that these trees did not randomly come to be here. They were placed in here and in a very deliberate fashion. As we continued to fight our way through, we came out into the perfect opening within the forest for a grow. It had excellent sunlight. The soil was fertile. Terry and I sat down and devised a plan. We decided that if we left enough of the most difficult brush to navigate in place, followed by making a path with machetes, say 100 feet into this crap, that would be sufficient to deter anyone from looking any further and finding our grow. One of the biggest problems for operating is that of watering the plants, particularly important when they're young, so you either have to have a means of bringing water in or a way to capture rainfall and make use use of it. Our belief that there would be adequate rainfall here based on the moisture content of the soil. And so over the next few days and weeks, we had set up several rain catchers using sections of black pool cover suspended on ropes between branches, funneling the water into five-gallon fuel cans. Over the first several weeks, our seedlings were sprouting, and we were, in fact, gathering enough water to keep them going. We knew that once they got deeply rooted, they'd be fine here, but we had to keep close tabs on them as they were getting started, and so we did. This little field or opening, if you will, was very soft on the feet, somewhat spongy, and our footprints could be seen everywhere as the weeks progressed. We now had about 400 plants growing strong. And even if 20% of them turned out to be females, we were going to make a lot of money here. 
It must have been about four weeks into this new grove that Terry and I had decided to spend some time to take a closer look around the woods. We hiked north about four miles, with our machetes in hand, fighting our way tooth and nail for the first mile through the same brush we encountered coming in. The good thing was that very few, if any, people would be willing to go through such an ordeal to find a grow or to start their own. In that regard, we felt secure. It was about four miles out, as I say, when we ran across yet another of these odd tree-type structures, virtually identical to the one we saw coming in on day one. Again, there was what I will call a central tree with possibly 20 or 30 smaller trees leaning against it. As we surveyed this new structure, we noticed two of the trees were freshly taken. In fact, we could see that they had been torn or twisted out from the roots. The thought of what or whom would be able to twist even a small tree out of the ground was perplexing. And yet, there they were. These two trees in particular had a diameter of about four inches. Even at that, I couldn't comprehend what would have the strength to uproot it. Then the thought came to my mind. Why bother uprooting when there were so many deadfall trees scattered all over the place? During the week that followed... The area had about two inches of rainfall. We had three sections of pool cover set up to catch and funnel the rain down into several military-style fuel cans. We really didn't need the water in here, but this was more or less put in place for when the seedlings were getting started so that we could water them if need be in a hurry. We knew that these cans would be full to overflowing when we arrived, but as we made our way to the grow, all three cans in each location were lying on their sides in the field. The plot thickens, my friends. Try and pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. Even if these cans had accidentally tipped over, The pouring spout was centrally located in the top of each can, meaning that most of the water would pour out, but there would still be a couple of gallons laying in the side below each of the can's spout's level. Having said that, all of the cans were bone dry and had been moved from their positions under the catch-alls we had set up. As we stood there looking, our first thought was that the grow had been compromised, as was the other one, and that the cans had been left as a calling card, so to speak, by whoever had done this. It was then that Terry said to me, check out these footprints over here. This spot was a particularly soft area, especially after the considerable rainfall that had occurred. As the two of us started looking around, we could see what appeared to be three different sets of footprints, each like that of a man's bare foot, the largest being well over 24 inches and the smallest about 12 in length. 
We both said the same thing at virtually the same time. Bigfoot. That explained why the water cans were empty. These creatures must have physically picked them up and drained them, drinking the contents. The findings of these prints also had shed some new light on just exactly these tree things we were looking at were. We had set up our grow in the middle of a family of Bigfoot. From that day forward, Terry and I were carrying sidearms when we came in. We had a discussion as to whether or not we should abandon the crop altogether. And our consensus was that as long as they were not damaging the plants or trying to harm us, we would continue with the plan. I'm going to fast forward here for the sake of this story's continuity. About three months had gone by, our plants now being about five feet tall, and they stank. We could smell this grow downwind a mile away. To us, it was the smell of money. We hadn't seen or heard anything in regards to the Sasquatch whose prints we had seen. We also hadn't reset the water cans in place since the drinking incident had occurred. As we were hiking and closing in on the grow, we started to hear what sounded like grunting coming from both sides of us in the dense brush. Understand me, please. We had carved this trail with machetes, and other than that trail, the brush on either side of us was higher than our heads and so thick you couldn't see three feet on either side. Whatever was making these grunting sounds was also making quite a bit of noise walking through the brush to our sides. There was no way that you or I or anything else could walk through this mess quietly. It was then that we started to hear some sounds like that of an owl and so some low-volume whooping sounds. Back and forth they were going, and Terry and I had stopped in our tracks. We looked at each other as if to say, this isn't going to end well. Having seen nothing, we both knew that we were being flanked by the beast whose prints we had seen. If they could walk in here, they could rush us, and we would die in this brush and nobody would know. Terry said to me, we have two choices as I see it. We can abandon the grow right here and now and lose everything, or why don't we shoot some rounds into the air and try to warn them off? I wasn't sure at the time if this would turn out really bad or really good, but when they say that money is the root of all evil, I can say with certainty the statement is true. The only thing I could think of at the time was losing a hundred or perhaps two hundred thousand dollars in reefer because of some Bigfoot. The two of us withdrew our pistols and fired four rounds into the air in succession, after which everything was dead silent. We stood our ground about 10 minutes and there was not a sound to be heard. We continued to the grow and spent the rest of the day tending to the plants. Later that afternoon, the walkout was uneventful. Five days later, when we were on our way back into the site, 
It was then that our eyes would be open to what I will call revenge. As we made our way through the uncut barrier and had just got onto the machete trail, we were immediately confronted with several good-sized trees piled across our trail. To me and Terry, he just said to us immediately, get out and stay out. Now, you think we would have taken a hint, but no such luck. We continued making our way into the grove, and when we came out in the clearing, the site looked like someone had gone through it with a steamroller. Every single plant was thoroughly smashed into the ground and or uprooted. The water cans were gone, and the pool cover sections were torn down. Complete and utter destruction. The Sasquatch footprints were all over the site in the thousands. They must have spent hours tearing apart and stomping our grow into oblivion. Terry and I turned and walked straight back out the way we had come in. We couldn't wrap our heads around why they hadn't put a stop to our presence right from the get-go. They could have stomped our seedlings into the earth and been done with it. But it wasn't until the plants had begun to bud and get stinky that the action began. Perhaps it was the firing of the shots that set things off. We were getting so freaked out with them flanking us that I don't believe we could have stayed anyway, to be honest with you. It's funny. We had been running this operation for over six seasons and in some extremely remote locations. The only creatures we had ever seen were elk, deer, bear, and one cougar. We did, however, hear tales of Sasquatch sighting by a couple of dudes in a bar one night and thought it to be some drunken tale. Of course, now we know otherwise having experienced them for ourselves. And that, Bill, was our experience with the Sasquatch at the illegal grow site. What do you think of that, Kevin? That is wild, Bill. Freaking one of the craziest tales I have ever heard from one of the most odd individuals and sets of circumstances you can imagine yeah well that area up in northern california there i think they call it the emerald triangle you know where it's Uh basically pretty rural and a lot of weed growing going on of course now it's legal out there in california i'm I'm sure they're still growing it up there too um but pretty pretty wild i mean uh, i you know so they were seeing like tree structures. Is that the takeaway in the beginning? Yeah, he you know he knows more about what he saw now, but right. at the time it was an odd thing in hacking their way machete wise into this brush, and having this thing built in the crap they were hacking through. Right, like, it's kind of what it's one of those hindsight is twenty twenty things, right? Like. Once, you know, after you start seeing evidence of the hairy man, then you're like, well, wait a minute, those are tree structures. Yeah, but at the time, he had no idea tree structure from a Volkswagen Beetle being in the woods. You know, he he had no idea. It just looked weird. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. 
uh, you know, being the ingenious sort of uh, illegal merchant, you know, entrepreneur, he, he was, an entrepreneur yeah, of sorts. He, he he was he was looking at everything as though you know, so, am I being watched? You know, always over the shoulder. You know, who well, did that's this? That's a good plan. You know? Good plan if you're growing illegal drugs in the forest. Yeah, and uh, what a bizarre thing, huh? You know, uh, and in the end, everything getting so utterly, intentionally smashed to pieces. Uh, like, you know, you remember the story of uh, you know, from Teddy Roosevelt, where when I was reading it the last time, they spoke about the creature cajoling or gaboling around its victim. Yes. And, Gaboli, uh, yeah. Yeah, gaboling. That's an old word, right? Yeah. Uh, but it sounded like these creatures were just dancing around in there until everything was pounded like they were having fun. Yeah. Uh, which also shows thought, and it also shows intent by the creases organizationally. Oh, yeah, to get rid of these farmers, right? Like, yeah. Hey, yeah. get off of my land. Yeah, so... And take your knew, smelly crop with you. Right. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> uh, uh, who knows? A, a very, very bizarre thing. And to hear it from an individual such as uh, this guy, uh, you know, it's kind of like a confession from a mobster. Obviously, he's not up there anymore. He wouldn't tell you he was up in Northern California if he still was, you know? <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, but like you said, I don't think it's any secret now. There's such vast wilderness that even though people know about it, it doesn't deter them from attempting it, you know? No, yeah. Well, by the way, it, you know, it's rumored to be uh, that it used to be before. Now, I don't know if it still is, but before marijuana was legalized, it certainly was also a very dangerous place because, you know, you'd basically come up to these private roads uh, up there in Northern California, and it would say, keep out, no trespassing, you know. And if you went up the road, you might come across a big, uh, you know, marijuana production farm, which they didn't really want any visitors stopping by. Yeah, and they might pull the trigger. No doubt about it, yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I am sure Yeah, that was that those- show, Bill. Remember that show? What was it uh, that I talked about maybe a year or two ago that was about Bigfoot? And it took place up there in the Emerald Triangle, but it wasn't really clear if it ever was about an actual Bigfoot or some guy named Bigfoot, right? Uh-huh. All kidding aside. Remember, it was like a Netflix series or something like that, um, probably a year and a half ago. Hmm. Well, I tell you, I have no photographic memory for... Uh, many of the things that even I speak about. <laughs> but what does happen is I have so much Bigfoot information in my head that when I start to talk about it and subjects are, are, are spoken about, things just start to roll out of the library. Yeah. And uh, like when I do interviews on some shows, I rarely, if ever, even have a notepad in front of me. Uh, it's more or less just like a Q&A, and the, dis- the uh, discussion just rolls on uh, based on everything I've written and heard and said and done to this point, you know. 
like the UFO topic, you know, it's not necessary. Yeah, yeah. For no, me this to... was this was back in 2021. It was mm-hmm. called Sasquatch. Okay. And this investigative reporter, pretty famous investigative reporter named David Holthouse, uh, went and did this uh, did this report, and it was about you know it went back in time to try and solve this triple murder that okay. happened back probably twenty five thirty years ago. That mm-hmm. was rumored to have been where these people had been were rumored to have been killed by a Sasquatch. Wow. And uh, but through his report, you know, again, spoiler alert, if you never saw it, he doesn't reach a conclusion. But it also yeah. turns out that there were some of these like enforcers up there and stuff like that, that that went by the name of like Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So it could have been like, hey, Bigfoot killed that guy, Bill. And, you know, then somebody overhearing that thinks a Bigfoot killed it. But rather than the guy called Bigfoot. Huh. So, but they never, as I recall, they never reached a full conclusion, but it was pretty cool, pretty cool story either way. Yeah, it keep you going, right? Yeah, it, uh, that's it, was, the it, was idea worth, it was worth checking out. It was well done. And again, this guy's a famous investigative reporter. Wow, incredible. So there you have it, Kevin. Another freaking uh, one for the uh, record book. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just some of our new listeners, we're always getting new listeners. Uh, occasionally you're going to uh, hear me, uh, who knows, I, I may repeat an account that was number 24 in our history, but some of these things really bear repeating and uh, discussion again and again and again because they have relevance and uh, they connected dots with many other stories coming forward, you know. Uh, I always think about the Patty film. I don't know how many times I've looked at the Patty film. Uh, yeah, well, and it keeps it. getting uh, you know more enhanced each year. You know, somebody yeah. somebody runs some type of new video processing technology on it, et cetera. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But see, but see, to me, it never loses its luster. Oh no, uh, things Bigfoot, things out of the ordinary. Uh, there are many things that I've listened to dozens of times, and I still get a kick out of it doing it again, you know. So uh, uh, that's kind of the way we roll a little once in a while, not too often, but it's always good to uh, dust off a good old book and give it a reread. Oh, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Woo-wee. So what do you got, bro? What are so- our listeners saying? Yeah, we got some listener mail this week, and uh, the first one comes in from Bob in Oklahoma. And as the saying goes, if they still have it on their license plate out there, Oklahoma is okay. Okay. Yeah, Bob writes in and he says, "It's and the subject is Happy Easter, right? Going back a few weeks. And he says, Dear Brother Sheehan, and more importantly, Brothers in Christ, he is risen. Last year, I sent you all Easter greetings from a hospital after having undergone emergency heart surgery. Yet Ooh. here I am today. Hey, Great good job, for you, Bob. brother. Yeah, 100%. And Bob writes, many prayers for Paula, Bill, Kevin, and your extended families. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Remember... If you find yourself in trouble's doorway, 
Always carry more faith than you think you might need. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Touche, Bob. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't mind you being off the Bigfoot track with that one. I was kind of wondering where you were gonna go, and I was totally receiving everything you were throwing at me. And I'm, I'm so glad that you got over your heart issues, and oh, my here goodness. you are, yeah, listening to us. I mean, nothing uh, can be better than that. You know, talk about Happy Easter. That's a guy that's having a Happy Easter. You got that right. That's that's wow. uh, that's one of the reasons I picked that one out, Bill. It's like yeah. always good to hear that kind of good news. Yeah, it was a special one. You know, just a little, little something with a different edge on it. Absolutely, one hundred percent. So good, good stuff there. Um, all right, our next one comes in from Jeff from Louisiana. Uh-huh. And he's writing in about hunting feral hogs, which goes back uh, a few podcasts ago where we were talking about a Bigfoot that might have been wrestling with a feral hog or two. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff writes, <laughs> he says, Gentlemen, I send you this story as told to me by my late cousin, Scott of Jackson, Louisiana. He says, Scott was a patriot in every way and served the country as an Army helicopter captain and medvac pilot, volunteer fireman, and EMS tech. So thank you, Scott, for your service. Um, And rest your soul. He says, Scott died of COVID last August. Scott loved to hunt gators, big snakes, deer, and everything else that was in season. He only killed what he could eat or give away. And uh, Jeff says, I'm a blind pacifist. The most gun I carry is a marine slash sport horn. I guess a boat horn, a compressed air, (laughs) very loud horn that will frighten away anything, including me. He writes, but Scott used to hunt feral hogs with an AR-15. As a hunter, he crept up on a herd of them and laid down a lead spray which sent six of them to the barbecue joint in the sky. (laughs) Is that awesome? (laughs) And he said, of those six, only three of the beasts were suitable for donation to the Jackson Food Bank. uh, And he field dressed them and reloaded. The largest after that was, he believes, 350 pounds. Wow. Yeah, and he says Scott chose, generally chose to live uh, in his lonely cabin such that he could hunt deer from his porch armed with a crossbow while still in his PJs. <laughs> yeah, and Jeff I like writes, this guy. yeah, Jeff writes, Blue Sky, Scott, we miss you, as does the Jackson Food Bank. <laughs> what a story, man. It's awesome. Jeff, great oh, job man. writing that in. Yeah, and talk about the dichotomy between those two pieces of mail. Well, yeah. The first the, the first, and the second. I mean, you couldn't be any further away from each other, and yet both were, like, super cool, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, and our last Just- one we're going to cover, Bill, comes in from Gregory. <laughs> and Gregory doesn't say where he's from. 
Um, It sounds like he's been around the West, but he says, I love listening to you guys, especially on a day like today when washing clothes, cleaning house and working on an animation project via a graphic tablet. It makes the time go by really fast. I've always wondered what I would do if I ever encountered a Bigfoot while hiking and why I haven't encountered one yet. I wonder this because I've hiked the mountains of Colorado and California many times and now in New Mexico. So maybe he's down in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. I suspect that I haven't gone really deep enough into the woods or isolated areas or perhaps I've been watched without realizing it. Although I make it a point to be very aware of my surroundings and sometimes take the time to occasionally stop and look around and listen. You never know what's out there, no matter where you hike. Now, I've seen deer, elk, moose, and hawks, but no Sasquatch. I imagine I'd crap first, stare in awe and amazement later. (laughs) Now, if it sees me, who knows? It probably would be just as curious about me as I would be about it. Keep up the good work and the banter. You guys are a lot of fun. Now I just need to buy a book or two or three or four. That's right, Gregory. <laughs> Get on it, man. <laughs> but yeah, pretty uh, pretty funny stuff, right? You know, here's a guy that hikes a lot, been out there a lot, but you know hasn't seen anything. But then again, I've hiked a lot, and I haven't seen anything either. Yeah, you know, Kev, when you when we read these mails, wouldn't you like to just sit down with some of our listeners and chew the fat and have a little barbecue and uh, just talk. Maybe some barbecue from a feral hog that was gunned down with an AR-15 by a patriot. You put that feral hog on a stick over a fire and I'll eat it later that afternoon. Shred it up and throw (laughs) it on a roll with some coleslaw and some (laughs) eastern North Carolina sauce. I'm on it. (laughs) I probably ate a feral hog or two without even knowing it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Damn, that's some good pig. That's some good pig. Oh, that's a feral hog. <laughs> that's Mind yourself, pig. while you're chewing it, I did throw quite a bit of lead at it. <laughs> yeah, watch, watch your fillings. <laughs> <laughs> and then, well, Bill, I'm going to end this week and, uh, and my part of things with uh, reading one of our reviews. So, folks, you know, you give us these great five-star reviews, and we love them and keep them coming. And then some of you give us five-star reviews and write about it as well. So I'm going to share a short one of those that I was laughing out loud at. And it Uh says, uh, it's a five-star review, and it says, it's a freaking podcast about Bigfoot. Always (laughs) download more episodes than you think you're going to (laughs) need. I love that, whoever that is that wrote that one. Fantastic. Yeah, you know, and Kev, you know, you and I are always kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek with a lot of the stuff we do. And when we did that little bit in the beginning of the show where I said, it's a freaking Sasquatch. So many people take off on that and tell us even their kids. Oh, I love those stories where somebody, you know, they even we read one a couple of weeks ago where somebody had a cutout of a Sasquatch, you know, metal cutout, (laughs) which are getting more and more popular, I know, around here. And uh, one kid comes up to the door and says, what's that thing? And a little kid, like five years old, says, it's a freaking Sasquatch. (laughs) (laughs) 
I tell you, we're having an effect in weird ways on people. Yeah, I might have to put a cutout of one up on the front lawn just so I can hear little kids walk by and say that. When I'm having a tough day, that'll uh, that'll take the edge off right there. <laughs> well, Kev, great show, man. A couple of yucks, some uh, good information. And, folks, remember, you can contact us at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. If you've seen something, say something. And uh, I mean it. And by the way, you know, if you're walking around in Northern California with a machete, I've got a little piece of advice for you. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. Sleep tight.